Well, good morning, Mercy Road. It is so good to be with you. I'm about to walk through God's Word with you, but just in case you don't know who I am, my name is Chad Murphy. I'm the spiritual formation pastor here at Mercy Road, and whether you're joining us online or in person, we are thrilled that you're taking this journey with us this morning. The, the title of our message is The Assuring Savior. And if you're following in your Bibles, and I would love it if you did, we're going to be in Jeremiah's Gospel, chapter 31, looking at verses 19 and 20 together. And I think as we think about the assuring Savior, that there's one thing I can say with tremendous confidence. I think we are all deeply comforted when we feel assured. Assurance is something I think we long for. It's something deep within us. And I believe when we are granted assurance, it just brings a peace over us. The definition of assurance, let me start with that. It's defined as a positive declaration intended to give confidence, a promise. And so when someone gives us an assurance and then they follow through, it just... It comforts us. My, my dad never spoke this assurance, but I want to share it with you this morning. My, my dad's no longer with us, but he was an imperfect man like all of us. He, he had his flaws. But there was something he did for me as a kid and as a high school boy that gave assurance that just resonates with me till this very day. Sadly, it didn't dawn on me in my teens. It was in college one day. I was homesick, and I thought about what my dad had done. And here's the simple thing my dad did. Maybe it wasn't so simple. I do not remember a single childhood event where my dad was not present. I'm talking parent-teacher conferences. I'm talking plays. Uh, in third grade, where my one line was, please, Mr. Cat, please don't eat me. <laughs> that, that was it. I practiced that a hundred times at home, and I, I think I got it right in the play. And dad out there in the afternoon, taking time off of work to be present to hear me share my one line. I was on the age group swim team, and in those days, it was very painful for parents or or those who came with the kids, uh, we lived in a little bit of a rural area, and sometimes you would drive three hours to an age group swim meet, and the, because of all the ages that swam, it would take as long as six hours for the meet to unfold in this hot, steamy room, and my dad sweat profusely, and, um, and I would swim for a total of about three minutes of that six hours, but I knew I knew when I walked out of the locker room and looked up in the stands, my dad was going to be there. It, it was such an assurance. And I believe we all long for that. And, and today I want to show us the assurance of our Savior. Because not all of us get blessed with experiencing that in, in our human experiences. But, but through Jesus, we all can experience this in a very real sense through the love of our Savior. 
Well, just to reflect back for a minute, we've spent the last two weeks in a series called Christmas Comforts, and Pastor Mike did a great job of showing us that Jesus is a one who sympathizes with us. And by that, Mike built out this beautiful story of he sympathizes with us because he literally came to earth and he experienced all the suffering, all the temptations that you and I experience, Jesus experienced as well. So he's not a distant God sitting on a throne who, who just puts us uh, in motion and then says good luck. No, he came and experienced every hurt, every pain, every temptation that we experience here on earth. So Jesus is one who can sympathize with our struggles. But last week, Pastor Brian did a beautiful job of reminding us our Savior is also tender. As he leads, he comforts. As he guides, he shows tenderness and love to us. And so he walks and he picks us up when we fall down on the floor and he, he, he gives us a tenderness that only our Savior can give. Well, well today, I, I want to show us through God's word that we also have a God in heaven, a father, but also a son who want to offer assurance to us. No matter what we're experiencing today, no matter how broken we are, how far we've fallen into a well of sin. No, no matter how many times we've stumbled and we've fallen, we worship a God in heaven and a son who want to offer assurance to us that not only are they with us, but they are for us. They're literally rooting for us to get up and to go forward again with the hope that only our Savior can give. Well, we're going to begin our journey in a strange place, and I need to ask you to trust me because I really am going to talk about the assurance of our Savior, but it's not going to sound like it for the next few minutes. We're going to begin our story in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Now, God uses not just Jeremiah, but many of the prophets of the Old Testament to call out the sins and the rebellion of his people. And so we see many of the prophets speaking truth. And it's not fun because Israel was a rebellious people, much like you and me. And so if we read the book of Jeremiah, what you're going to find is the first 29 chapters of this book are used to recount the sins of Israel. And I just want to give you a taste. I won't take you through the 29 chapters, but just to give you some sense of what's happening in this book of Jeremiah, let me read a few of these for us. In chapter 1, God says this in verse 16, I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. Again, my people have forsaken me. They've turned, they burn incense to other gods. They no longer worship me. In chapter 2, God says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, 
broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God's reminding the people of Israel that he is the one who provides living water, not not just physical uh, nourishment through water, but literally spiritual uh, truth and guidance. He's the one who provides living water. And for what they did is they dug their own cisterns. In other words, they turned to their own ways to provide, and they were broken cisterns. In chapter 3, God says, You have defiled the land with your prostitution and your wickedness. In chapter 4, God says, How long will you harbor wicked thoughts? In chapter 5, God says, But these people, Israel, have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They've turned aside and gone away. And folks, for 29 chapters, God calls out the sin and the rebellion of his people. And I'm guessing you're wondering right now, what, what assurance are you seeing in that chat? I mean, where, where do we draw assurance from, G, from God calling out the sins of his people? Well, we need to read just a little further in this book. And God does this over and over again, but we're looking right here in Jeremiah chapter 31. Let me read verses 19 and 20 for us. After I strayed, and this is Israel, after Israel strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. God responding, Is not Ephraim my dear son, the child in whom I delight, Though I often speak against him, I still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I have great compassion for him, declares the Lord. So in 19, verse 19, we see Israel acknowledging and repenting of their sin. In other words, turning back towards God and understanding the depth of their sin and their brokenness. I love this. It's such powerful language. I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated by how far I had fallen away from the one true God. And then in verse 20, God turns his attention to his love and compassion for his people. Now, Ephraim is just another name given for Israel. And and God is saying, Despite how far you have fallen, how deeply you've turned away from me, I still yearn for you. I still love you. I still have compassion for you, declares the Lord. Uh, Some of the women in our church right now are, are in a book club, and the book they are reading is called Gentle and Lowly. It's by Dane Ortland. I, I was not familiar with this author until I was blessed by someone giving me this book. And uh, I'm not an avid reader. I wish I was, but I love this book so far. And I want to walk through one thing with you, and then I'll share some more in a little bit. But I love what Dane Ortland writes about Jeremiah 31, verse 20. He says, God is not wondering or asking a question. He's making a declaration. So so let me read it for you as more of a declaration and and just feel this 
with me. In other words, God is saying, Israel is my dear son. Israel is the child in whom I delight. Israel is my son in whom I yearn for. Israel is my son who I have compassion for. Isn't that beautiful? For for 29 chapters, God points out the sin and the rebellion of his people, and then he makes this amazing assurance in chapter 31. Israel, despite all that, you are my dear son in whom I still delight. I still yearn for you. From my innermost, I yearn for you. And yes, I still have compassion for you. Now, Brian alluded to this last week, Pastor Brian, but I just want to share with you one thing God is doing in me that the more I read the Old Testament, the more I see these amazing fingerprints, the amazing foreshadowing of God pointing us over and over again towards Jesus. And and as I was reading this week and thinking about Gentle and Lowly, this book by Dane Ortland, the the light bulbs went off for me, and, and I saw this profound connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the the words of God in Jeremiah and the words of God in Luke's gospel and the words that Jesus shared when he was with us on earth. As many of you know, Jesus loved to tell stories, parables, that, that gave amazing truths and brought light and understanding to the people about their plight and about God's love and mercy. And one of the most beautiful stories he tells about this is the story that we refer to as the prodigal son. And we find it in Luke's gospel. And for those of you who may not know the story, Jesus is telling a story about a young son, a young man, who goes up to his dad. Now, this would still be awful today, but but, but in the light and of the Israelites, this was just an awful thing, a shameful thing that the son does. He goes up to the dad and says, hey, I'm not going to wait. I don't want to wait for you to pass before I receive my inheritance. Give it to me now. I want it now. And the father gives the son his inheritance. And the son goes off He abandons his father, he abandons the family, and he goes off, and he just goes on a rampage, lavishly sinning, doing things we probably can't imagine and say from this stage. He he, he just lives in sin until he spends every single penny of his inheritance, and he finds himself broken poor and desperate. And one day, he realizes, just maybe, if I go back to the Father, never will he bring me back as a son, but maybe he would bring me back as a servant. I'll go back, 
and, and see if, if there's just a place in his heart, a tiny place, where, where he would allow me to be a servant in his estate. And so he returns to the Father, and we read this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 20. But while he, the prodigal son, was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. Now, I almost get in tears as I think about a father waiting for a broken son at the window night after night. But let me just connect this back to the passage we just read and and see if the light bulbs go off for you like they did for me this week. Let's look again at Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 19 and 20. After I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I, I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. Is that not a perfect description of the prodigal that we just read about in Luke? He comes to a place where he can't get any lower. And the light bulb goes off. And he can't imagine that his father would bring him back as a son, but just maybe he'd have room in his heart to, to allow him to live and, and be fed physically. And so he turns and he goes back to the father. And then we see the response of God in verse 20 once again. Is not Ephraim my dear son? Is not the prodigal my dear son, the child in whom I delight? Though I often speak against him, he broke my heart. I still remember him. Therefore, my heart still yearns for him, and I have great compassion for him. Now, do you see what I see there? I see in this Old Testament story a loving God who cares for Israel despite how far they have fallen, always waiting, always longing for them to repent and come home. And then I see in Christ that very thing coming to fruition for you and for me. God's longing, compassionate hand, his love, his yearning for you, his yearning for me to say, oh, if only you would come home. I'm going to get out my best robe and I'm going to wrap it around you and I'm going to kiss you and I'm going to bring you in and throw the biggest party we've ever thrown. Because once you were lost, and now you are found. You see, that's God's loving assurance for you and for me. And if you're following in your bulletins today, the first point I want to make is God demonstrates his assurance to us by loving and yearning for us despite our brokenness and sin. What's so unique about God's love versus any religion outside of Christianity is he loves us in the midst of our brokenness. 
Right, right? So often as humans, we say, get your act together. And, and then I'll love you again. And, and so many religions say, you earn your way through the threshold. I don't love you in your brokenness, but when you get life right, when you're living a perfectly God-honoring life, I'll extend my hand. But that's not how the God of the Bible has operated both in the past and today through Christ. He says, listen, while you're broken, you just turn and come to me and I'll pick you up out of the mess and bring you into my family. Folks, God demonstrates his assurance to us by loving us despite our brokenness. I love how Dane Ortland says in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he says these words. I think we have them to put them up. The yearning heart of God delivers us and re-delivers us as sinners who find ourselves drowning in the sewage of life, 29 chapters deep, in need of a rescue that they cannot even begin on their own, yet alone complete. Isn't that true? We all have 29 chapters of our own sin and brokenness. There's no way for us to get it right on our own. That there's no way for us to earn the love of our Father in heaven, to, to get to that place where we've got our act together fully. And yet, in the midst of our brokenness, God loves you and loves me enough to say, Take my hand. Take my hand. I, I love you. I yearn for you. you your brokenness, it, it won't faze me if you'll just take my hand and come home. To make sure that, God under, that we understood God's love and the depth of his love and assurance he didn't make these proclamations in heaven and then just say, trust me, I'm here. When you come home to heaven, I'll be here waiting for you. No, God did the most amazing thing. And it's what we celebrate every Christmas. He came and dwelled among us. I want to read it from John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. Listen to these words. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Folks, think about this. God knew full well when he sent his son to dwell among us. It was going to be messy. And in the end, there would be a profound sacrifice. Knowing that, God sent his son anyway to live among us, to suffer, to feel our pain, to weep as we weep, to mourn loss, to look out and, and see the brokenness and live amongst it with us. The second reason we can know and experience the assurance of God is this. God demonstrates his assurance to us by coming in the flesh through his son, Jesus Christ. 
He came. He came as a baby, and we share this wonderful story every Christmas, but it's crazy to, to, to take yourself out of the heavenlies and enter into our brokenness and suffer and be humiliated and then die. But that's the love of God for you. I simply want to say this. If you have any doubts about God's love, uh, about his desire to offer assurance to every one of us, you need to look no further than Christmas and Easter. Amen? God came and lived among us. He didn't just teach us some valuable lessons and show us a few miracles and then say, I'm going back to the comforts of my father's home in heaven. I hope I've shown you enough to get by. No, he went further. Lord, if it be your will, Father, let your will be done. And Christ wept, knowing that he would be separated from his Father on that cross. And he would suffer and die for our sins. But he went to the cross joyfully because God loves us that much. Folks, I want you and I want to experience the assurance of our Father every day because that's what God wants for us. He wants you to know that no matter how far you've strayed, no matter how broken our lives have become, he is offering a hand. And he says, just turn back to me. I've never stopped loving you. I've never stopped yearning for you. And, and now I want you to come home. And I'm going to throw my arms around you. And whether you like it or not, I'm going to give you a big old sloppy kiss. <laughs> and son, you just hang in there because I'm going to kiss you whether you want me to or not. Amen. Folks, just a simple application number three. We demonstrate God's assurance to others by expressing his love to those around us. I don't think this should just be a Christmas exercise or an Easter exercise. This should be an everyday exercise. But, but we are his hands and feet. And when we think about the love and assurance that God has given to us through Jesus Christ, one of the things he asks of us, not to earn our salvation, but out of our salvation, to flow out of us, is that we would extend the love of Jesus to those around us that we would offer hope, that we too would point to the Son, whether it be in acts of service, whether it be a phone call, whether it be in proclamation of the truth and hope of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege to serve and offer the assurance that's been given to us. I love how Dane Ortland put it in the book. Let me put it up for us. The world is starving for a yearning love. 
a love that gets underneath our messiness, a, a love that is bigger than the enveloping darkness we may be walking through even today. Isn't that beautiful? Folks, I don't know about you, and, and, and I just sense that, that there's a darkness and if ever our light needs to shine, it's now. Folks, the world is starving for a yearning love, a love that you and I have experienced in Christ. And with God's help, I'm asking you, I'm asking me, let's extend that light this Christmas. Let's extend that light because God has given us a hand. And we too can extend a hand. Amen? Would you please pray with me? Lord God, help us. Help us bathe in this amazing assurance that you have provided from the beginning to the end of your word. We see it. We resonate with it the foreshadowing, the, the, the love of Christ. Lord, may, may, may we just bathe in it and out of that place, may we too walk out into this world and help give the love that they are yearning for. May we bring light into the darkness. May your hope so fill us that it just spills out of us this Christmas. Lord, this is our prayer. Help us be your hands and feet as we share life with those around us. Thank you for this assurance, love. For Lord, thank you for the love you have for us. We walk in it today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and Merry Christmas.